Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Bricks and Clicks. We're your hosts, Colin and Johnny. And today on the show, we've got a guest. Josh Moore, who's been at Red Bull, where, yes, he did work with Sticks, is going to be joining us. He's also spent time at Muscle Milk and Revive Kombucha. More recently, Josh has been leading an absolutely massive rebrand at Cho Chocolate, where he was the SVP of marketing. That sound is the dirty nail taking us into the show. Enjoy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining on the pod. So what's your role at Cho? I head up marketing, so I'm the SVP of marketing at Cho, and I've been here for uh, just over two years now. Very cool. I guess what's going on with the brand? What's what are the exciting things happening with Cho? Give us a, give the audience and Colin and myself a little education in the brand so we can learn all about it. I, yeah, I've tried sure. it before and I love it. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, it's amazing chocolate, and it's the reason why I was so attracted to coming to Cho a couple years ago was one the chocolate. It's it's incredible gourmet craft chocolate, and yep. two the people. The chief chocolate maker Brad Kinzer, our VP of sustainability, and uh, the person that heads up Cho Source. Laura Schweitzer, our CEO, everybody is just incredible over here. And the brand had actually been around for almost actually over 15 years, based in wow. the Bay Area the whole time. Originally in the Embarcadero area. So a lot yeah. of people are like, oh, you work for Cho, you're still down at Pier 19 and all that. No, we're over the bridge in Berkeley now, living it up. But we had a pretty high profile location down there next to the Exploratorium for a long time. And the brand back in the day, back then, is a cool story. It was actually founded by a, a tech, uh, a NASA tech giant, and his and he brought in somebody that came in to to the really new chocolate. And the first investor was actually Lewis and Jane Rosetto from Wired Magazine. So a lot of people look at the name Cho or like T C H O. What does that stand for? Is it tech chocolate? And the founder's name was Timothy Childs. He actually invented or owns patents on some video systems for space shuttles which is wild so everybody's like oh wow so t stand for technology chocolate and back then the whole silicon valley boom and everything it really stood for like high-end single origin one of the first to do like chocolate doesn't all just taste like chocolate you can have a cocoa bean that comes from peru that's got fruity notes uh a, a bean from madagascar may taste citrusy or have some stone fruit in it so it's, uh, it's some of the same dynamics behind the wine industry and, and really coffee. Yet Cho was one of the first to kind of bring single origin chocolate to the, to the mainstream, or at least to try to get to the mainstream back then. So that was kind of how the brand started. And I came in a couple years ago, so many years later, as the brand was really looking for a refresh. Uh, and a lot of, had happened between then and, and 2020 when I, when I hopped on board. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, right as COVID was hitting, yeah. And at the time, I was like, I got a, I got a son named Charlie. May as well take a job at a chocolate factory. Maybe it could be his first job, <laughs> right? So, I love that. but you know, when I came in, we knew we were the brand was in the middle of a rebrand, or the kind of kind of been trying to rebrand for a couple of years. And what sort of initiated the rebrand? So, what was happening with the business prior to that that made you think about, hey, we got to rebrand? <laughs> Yeah, on? great question. So a typical kind of growth of the brand, you grow really fast, you pull in a Walmart account, you maybe tweak the brand a little bit, get a lot of doors, and you really build that top line revenue for acquisition. And we were acquired by Izaki Glico, a Japanese company based out of Japan. Most people know them for the little biscuit yeah, sticks yeah. with chocolate sure. on it. Yeah. So sure. yeah. Glico, the makers of Pocky, is uh, we're a subsidiary of that brand. So in the U.S., they looked at Cho and 
and really wanted to get closer to the farmer, the farmer level. We had a lot of relationships with our Chill Swiss program. So it was, it was, we are their craft chocolate company in the United States. It's us. And then the other uh, part of Glico is Glico USA, which you walk into a Costco and buy some Pocky. It's coming from their office down in SoCal. So it's a fun company to be in. My boss is Japanese and we have a translator on our weekly one-on-ones and it's been incredible to just understand the Japanese culture and uh, with every acquisition let's look at the brand let's try to build some profitability and improve margins and and understand kind of what the brand stands for so Glico really took three and a half years to really do a lot of research and understand what's what's working what's not and ultimately led us to our our rebrand which we launched in December of last year 2021. So this the rebrand how comprehensive was that was it more about on the packaging side or was it more about the messaging or formulations or like what what kind of aspects did you look at? It's I've been a part of a few rebrands in my mm-hmm. career, and this one is it started as a rebrand and ended up as like a complete business transformation. Like we're a totally new company, so we are actually wow. discontinuing all of our old bars, like the legacy chill bars that mm-hmm. a lot of people have loved for years. And we've we launched six brand new 100% plant based bars in December, and we've made a commitment to go dairy free by 2023. So we're actually ending all of our dairy production of milk chocolate. And I should note we have bars that we sell in retailers and online. Then we also have uh, a really good business in food service, so baking chocolate, mm-hmm. all different kinds of dark chocolate to to milk chocolate, which is a great seller of ours to cocoa powder, to cocoa nibs. So we kind of do, we have a, a great channel there that was hit hard during COVID has really come back and, and kind of lets us take a risk like this and moving away from our old bars, kind of starting a whole new line, but just keeping that ethos of high-end premium chocolate that is really all about our relationship with the farmers and getting that bean as good as we can, which starts at that the soil it starts with the relationships we have with farmers worldwide. So we can make a change like this because we have an amazing bean team, we call them, our R&D team, led by Brad and Cynthia and Diana doing amazing work at Berkeley. So we just took a challenge of ourselves. We saw a lot of data, obviously, in the, in the plant-based space. And it was something that in such a saturated and crowded category, we had to stand for something. And I think yeah, I mean, taking a risk like that, taking a risk like this kind of puts us out there and, and gives us a chance to really make some noise. Yeah, big, yeah, I mean that's a, big ups that's to you big guys change, for like right? taking yeah that massive and like it's often so hard to take that step because there's so much uncertainty that we watch organizations not want to take action because that's it's scary to do something different. It sounds yeah. like you guys did everything different all at once. I've been here for two plus years, and it took about two years to kind of get everything yeah. to see the light of day, and it was an yeah. evolution during that time as well. And it it took a lot of we've got three to five people working in show or foot fully vertically integrated. We don't use any comb manufacturers for anything. So it was everybody's blood, sweat and tears for years. And a lot of people love the milk chocolates that we make. So there's tons of skepticism. Not gonna lie, we lost a couple people, but at the end of the day, like we brought in people that really believed in where we're going. And for the most part, we have incredible retention and it's the same team that just at different points kind of hopped on board and was like, yeah, this this makes a ton of sense. We're behind it. So, and I, I just can't, I can't keep going back enough to just, it, it's all about the cocoa bean. And we were able to do this because cocoa is a plant at the end of the day. 
most of the chocolate we already sell is, is plant-based. Dark chocolate's plant-based. Yeah. doesn't have any dairy. The U.S. culture is used to check out land chocolate that's got tons of dairy and sugar and peanuts. And you got to throw a bunch of, a lot of people of success throwing a bunch of stuff in, in cocoa and, and selling it in checkout land. That's what, what a lot of people know of chocolate. So I kind of I kind of feel like we've got a chance to show people, again, what true single origin cacao can taste like you don't need to throw dairy you don't need to throw even pretzels in it or anything like that i mean you can have the best beans in the world and make some amazing chocolate that uh, that people love was as you as your team was going through that decision process right to really hey this is going to be something completely different we're going to change and reformulate our bar and, and be plant-based was there one key insight or key data point that really pushed people over the edge? Like people that I'm sure people were skeptical, right, at first and sort of, hey, yeah. I don't want to do that. It's too risky. But something must have convinced them. And was there any sort of big moment or something that drove that? Yeah, one of the one of the key things was it just kept pushing, right? It just, yeah. And then our, our CEO, Taka, same thing. Like we eventually got it and figured out we can't make noise in such a saturated category unless we do something this this big. But we knew we needed some data behind that as well. So we have a great relationship with Spins. And it got even better as we told them our ambitions here. And uh, we actually worked with them to create a plant-based chocolate segment, which is something that they didn't track. So we went through so many SKUs, so many. We kind of defined it on our own. Like it has to say plant-based or vegan on the package or on the, the product display page on their website. You have to market it that way. If it's just... 81% 81% dark chocolate. They don't make any of those claims. We're not counting it in this in this category. So we took a long time. A lot of people, our marketing team, sales team, their teams hopped into the huge skew list, built that category out. And then we cut the data. Yeah. And we looked at that plant-based segment versus the natural chocolate segment versus the conventional chocolate. And then versus ourselves, our brand, and all the key competitors in the category. And the biggest uh, surprise that we had no idea we would expect this, but the number one place, aside from conventional chocolate, because let's be honest, everybody grabs a Reese's, you know, Easter egg, Hershey's bar, <laughs> whatever, at some point yeah. in the year. The number one place, aside from conventional, that people, that our customers, our chill customers went, was to this plant based chocolate segment. So we saw it was like 50% of our customers were also buying plant based bars. And we didn't play in that category at all. So that was a huge point of data that we were able to use internally and also with retailers as part of our sell deck and explaining why this whole transition. And another point was we also got certified B Corp last September. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Huge undertaking. Did a lot of research before that. How valuable is that that claim on PAC? Do people even understand it? Learned a ton there. But within that, that process is all about, this brand has been doing amazing, good things for 15 years. Not much of it was documented. Not much of it was measured. We, they just, mm-hmm. we just always did the right thing working with the supply chain. So it forced us to really measure and look at everything in ways that we hadn't in the past, which was a lot of work. And then one of the, one of the other key data points was making the transition from dairy to non-dairy saves almost 90% greenhouse gas emissions on the chocolate that we produce. So that alone, with everything that's going on nowadays, we made that commitment to be B Corp, 100% plant-based, all organic. We also made the commitment to go 100% fair trade. And all you can't find another chocolate brand on, on shelves that have all of those check marks. And it just kind of always goes back to just wanting to make a high quality premium chocolate for consumers 
and but also have it taste good. Like this whole process, we never sacrifice taste. Yeah, if anybody wasn't on board with our direction, come this year, the proof is in the pudding. We won a Nexi Award at Expo West for best new sweet snack with one of our new bars. You know, our actually oat milk chocolate bar that that we created. So. You know, I'm just going to ask, what, what are you using? Yeah. Do you have like a milk chocolate equivalent where you're not using dairy milk? Is there a, a non-dairy yeah. milk substitute that you're using? Yeah, for sure. So, and that's one thing too. We looked at a lot of other brands and plant-based has is, is become kind of just like a box to check, right? Yeah. And you all know yeah. if you just, all right, we, we had the choice. We had seven SKUs on shelf. We roll out three plant-based. Where are you going to put those in a SKU ranking? Eight, nine, ten, maybe five, yeah. six, seven. Maybe yeah. two of them right get on middle. shelf. And then it's like, all right, it's going to work or it's not. So just being like, all right, we're going to take these seven, move them off. Here's six new ones, just swap them in. And then you've got a whole new set of fresh, fresh data. But what we, we didn't, we knew we didn't want to check the box in that sense. And we also knew we didn't want to replace the, the, the milk and the dairy that we use with oat powder. Because honestly, a lot of people do that and it just falls flat. There's a lot of really poor taste milk chocolate out there. So, and I honestly, I tasted so many different rounds from our R&D, Brad and the team. And there was a moment where I was getting a little worried. I was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to pull this off. But Brad and Cynthia and Diana really, and our, our CEO, who's in R&D for 30 years, has a lot of experience, has tons of patents in the ice cream industry and with Pocky and everything. So really cool background there. And I just sat back and learned and saw them at every point of the step, like, all right, what if we did this? What if we did that? And what it came down to was we didn't just try to replace the dairy. We, Brad and the team looked at what makes milk chocolates creamy, milk chocolates soft. And good milk chocolate, a lot of people don't realize it, but good milk chocolate is caramelly as well. It may not have caramel in it, but that's one of the tastes. Notes of caramel. Notes of caramel you pick up. So we replaced the organic cane sugar with coconut sugar. That gives our milk, oat milk chocolate, a little bit of caramel. We used ca- a little bit of cashew butter instead of just all mm. cocoa butter. We put a little bit of cashew butter. It makes, makes it softer. And then the oat milk makes it creamy. So it's kind of like a trifecta. I remember one day where we cut the final, and the final piece was we replaced the cane sugar with coconut sugar, and it was like, boom, there it is right there. It's oh, a yeah. totally new experience. It's something that you've never tasted before, but it reminds you of really good milk chocolate. So I think that's truly like good innovations, like unique, but familiar at the same time. And I think Brad and Cynthia and our team just nailed this product. I love that it's it's on trend too, right? I mean, we were at Expo West this year and we talked about in a prior pod how plant-based is every, it was everywhere, right? Plant-based meat, cheese, dairy, down the list. And it's there's a lot of excitement and consumer want, right? And demand for it. So you're right down that. Plus you layer in cashew butter and cashews really hot and coconut and all that. So you're bringing all these really good for you ingredients, good, better for the planet. And they taste good too. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. sounds exciting. You got to the point where you probably, you knew you had a good product, like it was going to work with consumers, right? Tastes great. You checked all the boxes. We got these pesky retailers stuck in the middle though. <laughs> how, how was that when like yeah. you eventually went, took these stories to the retailer and be like, we're changing all this. Everything. What? Yeah. yeah. How did that, <laughs> how did that go? I'd love to hear well, more of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. I, I've never done it. We've never, none of us have ever done anything like this. The only brand I can think of that has made this big of a commitment is Elmhurst in 1925 with their going from a dairy farm for a hundred years, making milk to plant-based milk. And that it's worked, like they're thriving today. And I actually caught up with some of them at Expo West. I was like, how, who was there when this happened a few years ago? How did you do it? Yeah. Like, 
how can we learn from that? And they said it was crazy. They said it took about two years to really like flow through everything. So I, I think having this data, having a story behind the brand, like our our sourcing story, it's been a struggle to always be able to tell the Cho Source story. We've, mm-hmm. We put flavor labs, like 16 foot labs in 10 locations worldwide, close to the source to help cooperatives and the farmers in the area actually understand what their cocoa beans taste like in final form. So most mm-hmm. people have never, most cocoa farmers have never tasted in that, that chocolate bar made from their beans. So that kind of story, it's we do all this stuff and we've been trying to tell it for years, but you know, here's a new fresh chance with all of these retailers getting to tell that story, but also say, hey, we've made incredible plant-based chocolate, which is on trend, which tastes amazing, all comes back to taste. So with these retailers, it's like, we're hitting every box. They want premium, they want plant-based, they want organic, fair trade, and we're only really going after the natural channel right now. We don't aspire to be mass club, anything like that right now. Like we've got a very narrow, strong vision of just natural and specialty only. We've gotten a, a great broker partner in Greenspoon, and one of the best days of this whole the journey was unveiling the new brand, the rebrand, the packaging. They all had samples with them and just hearing how happy that Cho had something new, which we hadn't really had new innovation for about two and a half years up until this point last uh, yeah, fall. That's really exciting. Yeah, I was going to say, when the brokers get excited about the brand, that's a huge benefit, right? Because they're excited to go sell it. They're focused on it. They want it to succeed, obviously. And so yep. uh, it's great that you have a partner. Yeah, uh, totally. In terms of what retail, like any big retailer wins so far, like where are you? We're, we're just now this month shipping to UNFI and Kehi. So you'll start seeing us pop up in a lot of cooperatives. There's retailers here in the Bay Area that, that have got it here in the last couple of weeks. But we'll get it. We've got some larger retailers. The largest natural channel retailer that we wanted to hit coming on board later in the year. And they're actually swapping out all of our current bars and bringing in our new bars. So it's like a full swap is kind of what we're going for. So again, we're shipping now, and then it's going to be. It's probably honestly going to be like another twelve months before we've really gone to every retailer in their window and been able to present it found out if we got it, and then the deal is six, seven months later, you actually end up on the shelf, and then you got to sell. Yeah. So that's the biggest risk in all of this is we're selling legacy bars right now in 98% of the locations where you can find show at retail shelf, and then it's slowly just going to switch to ultimately 100% will be the new bars probably sometime next year. So again, that's where it kind of goes back to we have a great food service business that's growing like crazy right now can kind of help us sustain this time period where our sales aren't going to be the best as we're losing distribution or bringing it back. And it's just going to take some time. So again, we've got great ownership that's committed to this is a really a 18, 24 month rebuild. So I guess if, if you want to get the old bar, time is of the essence. <laughs> got to go ahead and grab it, grab it now so I can do exactly. it. <laughs> yeah, totally. We've still got it on show.com, the old bars. They're hidden a little bit. You got to use the search function. Um, and uh, there's there's some passion. I mean, we're going to lose some customers that are just passionate about certain yeah. bars. And we know that. We've got new bars. We think they're great. Here, we'll send you one. Give it a try. But, you know, I think it's, it's all about the new direction and mm. the new amazing bars we have. Yeah. So I got another question for you. Oh, sorry. You can go ahead there, Johnny. I was going to say, since you had these old legacy bars, you obviously have a lot of data and learnings from them in terms of flavor types, flavor profiles, what works, what doesn't work. Any key learnings there that you had from that that you were able to apply to the to the relaunch? 
Yeah, totally. I mean, again, it's it's kind of like doing something for the first time, but having yeah. kind of in data to, to go in. So our number one legacy bar is toffee and sea salt. So we knew we wanted to do something with toffee. We actually, one of our oat milk chocolates is it's got vegan toffee in it as well. We worked with our toffee partner to actually create vegan toffee, which is totally, we own the IP to that. Not many people see vegan toffee out there. And that's actually yeah. the bar that won Best New Fed Sweet Snack at Expo. And they didn't even know it was 100% plant-based when they, when they tried it. It's just really good. So we kind of went down one by one, like our top sellers, toffee, yeah. we need a toffee. Good. Mochaccino, we need to do something with Blue Bottle Coffee. They've been a great partner of ours. We've used their beans for years. People love Mochaccino. Now we've got chocolate to replace that, another oat milk chocolate. Our almond sea salt, we've got one called Aw Nuts, which is actually almond butter filled using almonds from a NorCal Maisie Jane's almond orchard up in Chico. So we kind of went down the, the best sellers, made a new version of it. But we also, one thing we haven't talked about is we have a whole new package as well. We actually did a lot of research mm. into going from a full square of chocolate into three, there's only two because I ate one, three uh, individually packaged bars inside cool. with a QR code that will take you to a Google sheet where we track the farms that we actually use the cacao from for this. So part of this, that was, it was, that was like the final big piece for retailers was like, this is a total new format. People like the grab and go snack sizes. We're giving them a full $5 plus, but to the consumer, they're getting a ton of value. It, the ones that see it like that, having the individually wrapped three bars inside. So there's a lot that in the retailer discussions, like it's, we're kind of hitting on a lot of things. So we've had a lot of really good, really good learnings from those. And you guys are end to end traceable on the beans? Yeah, hundred percent fully traceable. So wow. there's various, there's a lot of small batch chocolatiers bean to bar makers that can say that as well which there's a lot that doing amazing work out there but when you look at like a hot like a whole foods or a sprouts like there's really only tony's and we yeah. think they're about 100 percent because our flavor lab in one of the cooperatives in ghana there we end up seeing them a lot there they're doing amazing mm -hmm. work and there's but there's not many at our level that 100 percent of the beans we know where they came from all fair trade yeah i mean it's so commoditized now right that surprising that at your size that you can have the infrastructure to do that traceability. Um, yeah. It's just a choice. It's yeah. just a lot of people can choose it, but it's not easy. It's more expensive for sure. We pay more for the beans than anybody else and most of the co-ops we work with, but it's not so much more that it's not doable. It's really just a conscious decision. You have to have the internal staff to really manage it. And it's one thing about us too, that I didn't realize until about a year in, I was talking to Brad and he's like, Laura, they're like, you got to realize a lot a lot of folks can go from origin to origin, maybe work with Haiti on a small batch bar. Then they go to India. There's some great cocoa in India that a lot of people. So they're kind of bouncing around from origin to origin. But we've had 10 plus year relationships with cooperatives in Peru, Ecuador, the DR, Ghana, and we've, we've kind of grown with them. So Laura's got them. We've seen them as friends and family to and it helps just everybody. If we've got an issue with a certain flavor note or this or that, like we're speaking the same language in flavor, which not everywhere around. That's one thing I've learned this too. Like our, what we think of what a blueberry tastes, another part of the world doesn't eat blueberries at all. So you can't say I'm getting a little blueberry note here. Like I have I no idea what that means. About, that is, right? yeah. So it's part of what we do. It's part of what Laura does is she'll go lead sensory trainings have tons of different local t tastes and flavors. We'll bring a bunch of our stuff from the U.S. 
And it's that sharing of knowledge of just understanding how to talk about the sensory experience. There's so much that's not measurable, in, but we've mm -hmm. put so many years into that, that make the, the beans better. And it's just like coffee. It's just like wine. But Kraft Chocolate's so far behind those industries. Yeah, I was just thinking that as you were describing it, that it's we were with another coffee company. So I was thinking kind of how they are always looking at flavor. And I mean, they're doing, I don't know how many cuppings they're doing a day, but all yeah. the time there's a guy who's just cupping, uh, cupping beans. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that why isn't there more of that in chocolate? Yeah. You note know, it's kind of a newer thing, I guess. It's just behind, like you said, it's behind. Maybe it's yeah. catching up. It's such a, it's so commoditized already. 70% mm. of the world's cocoa comes from West Africa and it's mm. so commoditized. You talk about untraceable cacao, that's where it's from. And that's where chocolate has the most fudgy chocolatey taste is that West African cacao. So when you think of the word chocolates, because you grew up eating chocolate that was sourced there. But, you know, there's tons of theories. I would say, like, coffee was really the 90s, the craft coffee, a third wave, all that took off. Then craft beer in the, the, the 2000s, my favorite word, the aughts. And then we're, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years behind that. And maybe it's because somebody the other day was like, but there's no, like, chocolate stores. There's very few brands that have, like, actual chocolates. Like, you go into a coffee shop, you, you can under, that's an educational experience. You go to a craft brewery, same thing, right? You experience it on so I don't, we're, so chocolate industry is small, but big at the same time. But I think we're going to get there where eventually we just, we just kind of take off from the craft chocolate because it's truly like tasting chocolate for the first time when you have really good high end single origin chocolate. It's, it's an experience that you don't, you don't forget and you tell people about. So we got to figure out how to get more people to, to have that experience. I think you got to go down the path, right? Of how chocolate started way back when I was at the chocolate museum in I think it was in Bruges and they were talking about yeah. drinking chocolate, right? This is how it started yeah. a long time ago is people would have drinking chocolate and that's what sort of became yeah. popular. And so maybe that's the chocolate shop you got to open is bring in that and bring that back. So you totally. try it and go from there. Cause it sounds delicious. Yeah. So it's like, why does this not exist right now? When I was walking through that museum. It's yeah. Really cool idea. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's our number one product is this is just a package, but it's our drinking chocolate, hot chocolate. Yeah. We sell to a lot of coffee shops, blue bottle coffee, a mocha, hot cocoa you get from there is using, our drinking chocolate. So that's one thing we've talked about. Maybe we just open up a mocha shop. It's the best mocha you've yeah. ever had in your life, right? So we'll see. Yeah. And it's just in Berkeley. So you got to come over the bridge and hang out. Perfect. I'm going to be San Francisco <laughs> too. Perfect. So at Bricks and Clicks, I mean, at Colin and I, what we do in our day job is help companies with their trade marketing and their go-to-market strategies. How did you guys think about that? How do you handle trade spend when you're talking to these retailers? What's what's the internal processes that you have as as you guys figure out what price points, what promotions you're going to try and run? Yeah, totally. Trade is, I mean, it's it's the second largest expenditure for a PNL next to like PV, yeah. basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a big it's, uh, one the PNL. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it can easily be like velocities up this or that, but then when you actually dig into the numbers, I mean. You got to spin trade to, to get movement. And yeah, at some point, you got to care about actually making money. So for a brand like our size, that's another thing too. I mean, we, when I came in two years ago, we really cut down on trade a lot. We okay. knew that we weren't going to invest a ton into these legacy bars because we had something new coming. So we, we saved some there, but we, took, we did what we needed to do at certain retailers that we wanted to have some sort of good performance. But now with this rebrand and complete like investment in the brand, it's it's going into our strategy meetings and planning for the year and saying, hey, we need to take this trade from here 
And we need a, a year, 24 months, 36 months even of this much of a trade investment. And then after that, we'll worry about marketing and sales expenses and all that. So when we look at our brand, I've worked for really large brands like Muscle Milk and had some experience managing trade there to super small brands like Revive Kombucha, where it was like, all right, we've got two main retailers. We're going to spin there. And then we're going to work distributor partnerships, broker partnerships, all that kind of stuff. And we're actually just going to do a lot of the legwork on our own and go to stores and, and work sure. the shelves and, and, and hustle that. So here at Cho, it's about, you got to get that retailer with your with these new items. And then we've got to really understand, it. From, from my point of view, it's always changing with retailers in, in the sense of what trade offerings they have, but then also there's a balance of what digital verticals and like what matters to the buyer? What do we, exactly. what should we be investing in that they care about from an ad perspective, from a new mobile app, from a digital couponing? It all kind of blends together. And unfortunately for brands, it's all just eating up more and more and more of our margins. And it's difficult. It's expensive. You really have to, expensive. it's very expensive. You really have to choose where you really want to go after it and kind of overspend, yeah. but then yeah. know with these other retailers, there's, you got to have other tactics, like maybe some merchandising efforts or maybe some demos or maybe some other things that can come from like a marketing budget. And you kind of like blend the trade a little bit and call it marketing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And then another, another thing we did, and honestly, one of the things that worked and really helped build the muscle milk brand, when I came in, we were like 100 million. When I left, we were 400. Oh. That brand was all about partnerships and sports. It's pro... First real protein oh, yeah. drink that we're trying, right? Yeah. So what we did is we we regionalized it and we had a business unit like kind of team in all these key markets. And like here in the Bay Area, they're like, all right, let's go sign the Golden State Warriors. Let's sign the University of Cal. Let's yeah. then let's sign Stanford. Then let's use their marks on package, create an LTO, build a shipper, and then let's go to the retailer and say, all right. This is what we have. We also have tickets behind it. We have experiences with whatever partnership. And we'll also invest in $5,000, $10,000 in a radio spend, or nowadays digital marketing or social geotargeted tagging your retailer. So it's kind of like you got to play the game with the, the true trade, but then also with certain retailers go in with a package that's the marketing, gonna, yeah. marketing package, right? Yeah, a customer marketing exactly. package. Show how and, it works together. And, and help get, because trades like, in their perspective, you got to play the game, you got to do it. But those are feet that are already in there. From a marketer's standpoint, if you can convince, if you can do things to get foot traffic into the stores, and, and it's also helping you from a brand awareness perspective, that's where I think we've found the most success. And honestly, it's one of the ways that we built the Muscle Muck brand working with Pepsi with all the retailers like that. So when is so that, uh, um, Steph Curry going to be eating Cho chocolate on the on the sideline? When's that happening? <laughs> I mean, the finals start tomorrow, right? Exactly. So yeah, maybe tomorrow. Maybe, we'll see. <laughs> maybe get him in the in the in the parade when they're going down when they're going yeah, down market. Totally. That's Just route the parade, have it in Berkeley. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, the marketing. I mean, it's expensive though, right? I mean, Muscle Milk can yeah. do that. That's a lot of. It takes a lot of investment to get that, which not all brands yeah. can do. So you got to get scrappy, which it sounds like what you got what yeah. you're doing at Cho. Yeah, interesting because like Red Bull is probably the example of the company that has the the largest marketing budget as a percentage yeah. of revenue, I would suppose. Totally. Um, so like your the path of kind of like Red Bull to Muscle Milk to Revive and then Cho. What have you? What, what's been the biggest adjustment for you? Like going from 
these more conventional, right? Not, not necessarily better for you brands into this smaller chocolate world. Yeah. At some point I had the joke of, I just kept getting less sugar and more better for you. But I honestly, when I was at Red Bull, I was in my early 20s to late 20s. I presented that slide so many times. Like we invest 40% of our, our revenues into marketing. I had no idea what that meant. I was so naive. I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. Great. I, even at Muscle Milk, I managed a massive budget. I was doing things for the first time. It was incredible. And I, I had a lot of success there. But it wasn't until I got to a true startup and revived Kombucha where I was like, all right, going from this mar- marketing budget to, to this and I have a seat at the you know executive table I'm in a lot more decisions than just marketing decisions. There's production situations. There's calls on the trade. They're really, really owning trade. So it is an evolution. I wish I could go back. I'm sure a lot of people wish they can go back and tell their you know 28-year-old self, don't drink the Kool-Aid so much or like, this is the way it is. But you know, it's all a learning moment as well. And I think that at every step, it's kind of like the mentors you bring in also, and the people that are working with you. And it's just been great teams too. So it's to bring in all the things you've learned, right? Like from these big companies, yeah. these processes and like what it takes to become a billion dollar company, right? This exactly. is where we want to get to, right? So you can bring yep. that to a company like Cho, it's more of a startup. Or maybe they don't even know about these things. They don't know what they don't know, right? And you say, no, this is how yeah. we think about trade, or this is how we think about our go-to-market strategy. Um, and that's yeah. something that we've seen a lot when we work with brands, where when you have that experience, it really helps. It helps accelerate the growth because yeah, they're starting totally. to play like the big players. Yeah, I mean, I've, so many times people have surprised folks and they're like, wait, you care more about making sure trade has the dollars they need before we even get to your dollars and marketing? There you go. Love that. that. Yeah, we like to hear that. I I mean, I was... That's music to our ears. (laughs) I mean, I was at Red Bull when we just had one SKU, an eight-ounce can, one flavor, and we didn't do any TPRs or anything. Like, it was $2.99 for eight ounces. I remember when we started doing that, and I remember... Every monthly meeting after that, just growing and growing and growing and seeing what those those promotions did. It was a different time then. Function space in the early two thousands compared to what it is today. Like you can't you can't find anything that just is water. Basically, it's always got something else in it. It's a totally different category. Everything's premiumized, but it kind of the more you invest in trade, like I kind of think there's definitely a correlation into the average retail price and ASP of everything. I'd show. It's like, hey, we ended up after 12, 14 years being a value brand, value chocolate. And we spend too much time and money and effort working with these farmers. And it's like uh, one retailer says this and there's so many decisions. You end up in a place where you don't want to be. Now with the, with the up-level packaging and the, and the products and everything, it's, it's getting us to a point where we can invest more in trade. So honestly, we were handcuffed in, in, to an extent, right? So Yeah, you got to have the margin. Know, Exactly. You've got to mention that you have to be so right from a P&L COGS perspective from a unit COGS. And it's like a lot of brands will get a lot of will get investment. They have investors that are helping, but also hurting in a way. And you have to make these sacrifices to make people happy. And you just end up looking like somebody different in a different position than when you started. So I think it's and it's, it's no fault to anybody. It's just how the game has been played for so many years. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah, we see that a lot with, with a lot of the smaller companies. I mean, walking the show at Expo West, my joke is always look at all these awesome look at all these awesome food products that we're never going to see on the shelves. Yeah. Because I mean, it's just it's so hard to succeed. Smart. And I think the investment money 
makes it harder to succeed because the bar of success is so much higher. And so it's difficult. We could probably talk about like this topic for another hour to two hours, but we like to keep these uh, short-ish. So I think we'll maybe wrap it up around now. But Josh, was there anything else about Cho that you wanted to let our listeners know about or any uh, kind of last last comment about the the brand? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right now you can go to cho.com, tcho.com. All our new bars are for sale there. We also just did an amazing partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Ooh. where we're donating a portion of the proceeds to the aquarium where they do a ton of ocean cleanup and a ton of research there. But we made a, a chocolate bar with farmland seaweed and then salt from Big Sur. So we That's used seaweed hard. from Monterey and then salt from Big Sur and then our, our cocoa beans. And it's pretty amazing. So go check it out. Yeah. And then go to the Monterey Bay. Yeah, head to the Monterey Bay. It's for their deep dark exhibit, which is like the twenty percent of the ocean we don't know about. Yeah, they've been like researching and and they have animals from that Crazy. at the Monterey Bay Aquarium for the next eight years. So go check them out. I will do that. Mind. I'm headed down there. I'm headed down there at the end of the month. I'm taking my son for a family trip. So we're gonna go to Sweet. Monterey, stay there. We'll go nice. have some chocolate and uh, look at some crazy things from the depths of the ocean yeah sea bugs yeah Yeah. thanks josh this has been great really appreciate the conversation and the time really excited to see how the rebrand goes we'll certainly look for it in stores and we'll definitely give it a try all right yeah appreciate your time thank you and for all those listening out there don't forget to like and subscribe and we'll see you next time on bricks and clicks thanks